0: Hello and welcome to Wellbeing. I'm Graham Wilson. Recently, there's been a shift in how stroke is classified. From 1955 until 2017, the World Health Organization had stroke classified as a vascular disease, but now it's recognized as a neurological disorder or a disease of the brain. So today we're going to talk about stroke with a neurologist. Dr. Candice Delcour is a Senior Research Fellow, Neurological and Mental Health Division at the George Institute for Global Health. She's also Clinical Senior Lecturer at the University of Sydney and Conjoint Senior Lecturer at the University of New South Wales. Candice, welcome to Wellbeing.
1: Thank you very much, Graham.
0: Can you tell us how you came to be specialising in stroke?
1: Stroke treatment and management has changed a lot in the last uh, 10 to 15 years. So when I uh, finished my neurology training um, in Belgium, I was already interested in stroke and spent a bit of time uh, in France doing some um, kind of a stroke fellowship, and then um, had the opportunity to come and do stroke research uh, in Australia. And this is where I've been since.
0: Can you talk about the shift in how the World Health Organization classifies stroke as a neurological disorder rather than a vascular disease?
1: Yeah. Look, uh, stroke hasn't changed. So a stroke is a sudden onset of loss of brain function due to trouble with the blood supply to the brain. So when the... Uh, World Health Organization talks about stroke being uh, either a disease of the blood vessels or a disease of the brain. This is kind of a false distinction. In fact, uh, damage to the brain is the important result, but the mechanism is disease of the blood vessels.
0: Right. It's the same circulatory system. It's all connected to the heart. So it's the same conditions that cause the problem. Is that the case?
1: Yeah. So this is, I mean, this is just a definition. Uh, I mean, this is always problem with a blood vessel causing a stroke.
0: All right. So can you explain what a stroke is?
1: So a stroke is, the death of some part of the brain because there is not enough blood reaching it. So if uh, an area of the brain is deprived of blood flow, very quickly the brain cells will suffer or stop functioning normally because they don't receive oxygen oxygen or sugar. And when this... Uh, this decrease of blood supply is too long, the brain cells will die. And we cannot grow new brain cells. So this is what's actually happening when you having a stroke.
0: What's happening is you find a new pathway through the brain, don't you? You don't grow the same cells Yeah, that's cells right. back.
1: That's different. I mean, that when um, there is a blockage in a blood vessel in the brain, for a certain period of time, the brain cells Can still survive especially if they receive some blood and but when it lasts too long I mean all these brain cells will die Um, some of the brain cells can kind of be on hold for a little while and if they end up receiving some blood flow they can survive
0: are there various kinds of stroke
1: Yeah, so uh, there are two main types of stroke. Um, So what I've already mentioned is stroke related to blockages in blood vessels. So that's what we call ischemic uh, stroke, and this is the most common type of strokes in Australia. So that's when uh, the blood vessels carrying blood to the brain is blocked, And the second type of stroke is what we call hemorrhagic stroke for hemorrhage in the brain, so bleeding in the brain. So this is when a blood vessel ruptures and uh, blood goes into the brain. So these are the two main types. And as as I said, the first type is more common. About 80% of the strokes in Australia are related to blockages in blood vessels.
0: All right. And how does it occur?
1: So the blockage uh, is due to a clot, and that clot can come from uh, two different uh, parts of the body. Uh, Often it comes from the heart, uh, and uh, clots can form in the heart because the heart is enlarged or the heart uh, beats in an irregular way. Uh, that's something that you might have heard about that we call fibrillation. So, this is one of the causes of, uh, or one of the origins of the clot. And uh, the other one is a clot can form in a blood vessel, and especially in blood vessels in the neck, when there is some narrowing of the blood vessels, some stiffening of the blood vessels which can happen just when you get older, unfortunately, but especially uh, when you have uh, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, or diabetes, you can have some accumulation of calcium and cholesterol in the blood vessels, and a clot can form on this and travel to the brain. So uh, these are the two main origins of clots going to the brain and causing this uh, type of stroke. And for the other type of stroke, which is the stroke related to bleeding, uh, the main cause of it is high blood pressure. Uh, but also, I mean, you can have a stroke related to bleeding because you have an abnormal blood vessel. Some people have uh, a dilated blood vessel or like a blister on a blood vessel, something that we call aneurysm and this can rupture and cause uh, a bleeding in the brain.
0: Yes, you hear of people having an aneurysm over a long period of time, but they know that the weakness or the bubble is there and can give way at any time.
1: Yeah, but I mean, it's very much related to the size of the, of the bubble. So, I mean, if it's tiny, uh, there is probably not much risk that this is going to, to burst. But when it gets bigger, there is a high risk.
0: What are the symptoms, Candice? Is there something common between the two types of stroke?
1: Yeah, so they cause the same type of symptoms uh, generally. Um, so the symptoms are, this usually starts very quickly, so from one minute to another you something happens so you well and the next thing is you paralyzed on one side for instance or you cannot talk properly or you have lost the vision of one eye or one side of your visual field or you have lost the sensation again it's it's on one part of the body or you have other trouble, like trouble with um, navigation. So the, the two types of stroke will cause uh, the same symptoms, which are related to the fact that there is an area of the brain which is not functioning properly. But uh, in, the, um, in the hemorrhagic, uh, if there is a bleeding uh, in the brain, awful people will have a headache as well. And if it's a big bleeding or a big stroke, people can be a bit drowsy.
0: Right. You mentioned big stroke. There's such a thing, though, as a mini-stroke, though, isn't there, also known as a TIA. Can you tell us what that means?
1: Yeah. So when um, you have a stroke, you have symptoms symptoms such as weakness on one part of the body. If this uh, doesn't last, very long and you recover pretty quickly Um, this is what we call a mini stroke and uh, because the symptoms are very transient so that's why we call it a TIA transient for the the duration of the symptoms and ischemic because they are also related to transient blockage in a blood vessel TIA transient ischemic uh, attack but because the blood flow uh, is restored pretty quickly the symptoms do not last very long and the consequence of that is that a tia doesn't lead to any death of brain cells so we recover completely there is no damage uh, in the brain and so if you do a cat scan for instance or an mri of the brain. Uh, this will be normal.
0: How serious is a TIA?
1: That's definitely a warning. I mean, uh, even if you recover completely, this is something to take very seriously because uh, when you have had a TIA, that puts you at higher risk of having a stroke and a stroke that can cause damage to the brain. And there is an especially high risk of having a stroke in the first uh, day after having had a TIA. So when you have a TIA, it's also very important to seek medical attention because, because that increases your risk of having a stroke.
0: Today on Wellbeing, we're talking about strokes with Dr. Candice Delcour, who's a Senior Research Fellow, Neurological and Mental Health Division at the George Institute for Global Health. Candice, how is stroke treated?
1: Look, for a long time, we didn't have any useful treatment for a stroke, and what we would do, which was very frustrating for for a doctor and also for the patients, is we just put patients in hospital and look after them until they had some degree of recovery, but we now have good treatments uh, for stroke, and especially for the most common type of stroke, which is ischemic stroke related to blockages in blood vessels. And these treatments are uh, effective, but effective if they are given early. So if you have stroke symptoms, it's very important to present quickly to an emergency department because you can receive uh, two types of treatment. So the first one is a medication given through the vein in the arm, usually to try to dissolve uh, the clot. This is what we call thrombolysis. And the other treatment, um, which is done in major stroke centers, is what we call clot retrieval. So we use uh, we use a plastic tube that we insert through a blood vessel in the groin and go up inside the blood vessels to go and try to remove the clot, which is in a blood vessel in the brain. Uh, but that can only be done in very specialized uh, centers. Uh, so these are the two main treatments when you have just had a stroke. Uh, and the earlier you receive the treatment, the better. Um, And then after that, there are treatments uh, to prevent uh, further stroke.
0: You mentioned that some treatment can only be done in specialised centres. What specialists and specialised equipment are required for a facility to be able to treat stroke patients?
1: So the the first treatment that I talked about which is a clot uh, dissolving agent uh it doesn't require much it just uh requires a, a cat scan just to to confirm that uh the patient did not have any bleeding as this treatment is only for uh stroke related to uh blockages in blood vessels so the first treatment can be given uh even in, in smaller centers. But the second treatment, uh, the clot retrieval, requires uh, an experienced specialist, neurologist or radiologist or neurosurgeon. It requires uh, an X-ray laboratory where you can monitor the patients while they are having the procedure, and it requires special material. So there are only a few centres uh, in New South Wales uh, who are capable of doing this.
0: Now, if a patient gets that sort of treatment, what's required for recovery afterwards?
1: Usually, uh, when the patients receive this treatment, they will spend a little bit of time in the hospital where they received uh, the treatment and then, uh, if they have an ongoing problem, they will go, uh, to, uh, a rehabilitation hospital or receive rehabilitation as an outpatient. I mean, the recovery after stroke takes a little while. Most of the recovery happens early. Uh, within the first six months. But after that, the recovery uh, can still happen and is a bit longer. And the reason uh, why the recovery happens is that the brain uh, is able to compensate for the loss of brain tissue, and this is what we call brain plasticity. And uh, so it's really the, the other brain cells trying to take up the functions the function of the dead brain and so that's why people can rehabilitate from a stroke even if they have lost some brain tissue Um, but I mean if you have a big stroke unfortunately you might not recover completely from it
0: that's where we see paralysis that's ongoing in one part of the body or perhaps the patient can't speak anymore
1: yeah that's right and
0: is that just because the nerve pathways in the brain have been destroyed by the clot or the bleed
1: yeah this is because the brain cells responsible for that function have been yeah have been destroyed yeah that's right
0: do you have any insights on what's happening in the mind of someone who's had a stroke for instance they may know what they want to say but they can't talk so what thought processes go on then
1: speech trouble um, is quite complex so if they cannot talk sometimes they can still understand and they can still have in their mind what they want to say so they see know what they know what they want to say but they cannot express it they cannot say the words
0: so they may be able to write or communicate in some other way
1: they might be able but they might also have trouble uh writing or reading yeah Mm -hmm. So So it really depends. I mean, it's quite complex um, and it depends on the deficit.
0: Are there certain things that stroke patients can do themselves that will help with their recovery?
1: It's important uh, for patients to uh, be involved in rehabilitation. So we were talking about someone who has trouble talking so they should have a uh, regular uh, speech therapy to try to, I mean, improve their, their speech and find techniques to communicate. Having a uh, regular uh, physiotherapy or occupational therapy if uh, you have uh, a motor deficit is also um, key. So staying active and um, being involved in rehabilitation is very important. Now, um, this, this all works better if you are younger because there is more brain plasticity, but it's still very important to do it whatever, uh, I mean, uh, even if you are older when you have your stroke.
0: Yes, uh, I guess it's like, particularly when you're young, but at any age, we learn by doing things repeatedly, and the stroke victim wouldn't be any different, would they? Because they'd have to lay down new pathways in the brain by repetition in order to learn to do things again. Yeah,
1: that's completely true.
0: My guest on well-being is Dr. Candice Delcourt, a Senior Research Fellow, Neurological and Mental Health Division at the George Institute for Global Health. Can you tell us about the research you've been doing and what research-driven improvements have you seen in the way that stroke is treated?
1: Look, I've, I've talked a lot about uh, the new new therapy, so the clot dissolving agent and uh, the clot retrieval. Um, and uh, there, is, there has been also uh, improvement in the treatment of patients with stroke related to bleeding. And one of the key things has been that treating blood pressure, Early after a stroke related to bleeding actually improve the outcomes of the patient, so improve the way the patient will will recover from that bleeding stroke. But there is also lots of research uh, going on uh, about small uh, factors related to the stroke, and for instance, if you have an infection or high blood sugar uh after the stroke research tells us that it's really important to treat this uh properly another very important thing is research is that it's important to uh monitor patients to look after patients well and usually uh this involves um what we call a multidisciplinary team, so having nurses, doctors, physiotherapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists involved in the care of stroke patients and in a specialized uh, uh, medical ward that we would call a specialized stroke unit. So research has, has shown that this actually is very important as well.
0: Is stroke handled well in Australia, do you think?
1: Yes, I do believe that uh, stroke care is good uh, in Australia, uh, and it's especially good in large uh, cities. Um, I mean, if you have a stroke in Newcastle, uh, there is I mean, John Hunter Hospital is uh, very well equipped at handling uh, patients with stroke. Now, that might be slightly different if you have a stroke somewhere quite far from um, John Hunter Hospital, Um, although there also have been some significant uh, progress in the last uh, few years or so uh, to improve stroke care in smaller hospitals in rural and regional uh, Australia.
0: Yes, no doubt there are challenges because of the lack of facilities or personnel. But from what you're saying, there seems to be a concerted effort to try and improve the situation across the country.
1: Yes, there definitely is. Um, so more and more of these uh, small hospitals, um, and if we talk here about the Hunter region, more and more of these uh, hospitals like array is still pretty large, but Murray, Tamworth um, have um, or do uh, what do the thrombolysis. So you, if you go early to one of these hospitals, you can receive the clot dissolving agent. They also um, have access via what we call telemedicine, which means Uh, kind of phone uh, link, which could be also kind of a Skype type of conference links with neurologists based at John Hunter Hospital. So they can discuss the patient story with a specialist based at John Hunter Hospital, and they can even organize transfers if required, if the patient needs uh, the clot retrieval, for instance.
0: Right. Can you just remind us why it's so important to get treatment quickly?
1: Yeah, so the the clot busting has to be done within four and a half hours after the beginning of symptoms. So it's really important to go quickly because because when you arrive to the emergency department you still need to have a CAT scan and be examined properly take a medical history, and so that always takes a little bit of time. So as soon as you have stroke symptoms, it's really key to present immediately to an emergency department. And in terms of the clot retrieval, this can be done for a longer period of time. I would say up to 24 hours, but we still have to base our decision on a very uh, sophisticated CAT scan. So when we look at the CAT scan using a special technique, we can decide how likely the patient is to uh, benefit from having the clot retrieval. And and importantly as well, I mean, there has to be a clot. Sometimes we don't always see the clot.
0: If the clot can't be retrieved, what's the long-term prognosis? I mean, the body itself will try and deal with it, won't it?
1: Yeah, that's right, yeah. I mean, the the prognosis really depends on how much of the brain has been affected by the stroke. So it can be very variable. I mean, you can have a clot in a small blood vessel and be not too bad and maybe recover completely. But if you have a clot in a very large blood vessel and you're completely paralyzed on one side and cannot talk this is going to take much longer for for you to recover and you might not recover completely.
0: Just thinking now about the future for stroke research, do you think that the priorities are right and can you tell us what you'd like to see happen in terms of research?
1: Uh, I think we have got that pretty much right. Um, There are several priorities. I think one of the important ones is... um, improving uh, stroke care and especially improving stroke care for rural and regional Australia and this is actually one of my uh, research interests. I mean, I think it's really important that everyone has access to the same level of care even if you live far away from a big uh, stroke center. Uh, and the other priorities are in terms of treatment, so finding better acute treatments, so better clot dissolving agents, for instance, new kind of techniques to remove the clot, um, and also uh treatments to prevent further stroke. So when you have had a stroke, you have to be on some medications to prevent further stroke. And, um, I mean, there is lots of research around that, which one would be the best. And, um, yeah, so I think these are the main, main things.
0: So if you've had a stroke, is ongoing prevention a matter of reducing blood pressure and thinning the blood mainly?
1: Yeah, so that's really key to keep your blood pressure down. So reduce blood pressure, control your cholesterol, and take blood thinners. So you, if you have had a stroke, you will be on a medication to, um, to thin the blood. You will be on a blood pressure lowering medication and a cholesterol lowering medication.
0: For those listening who've not had a stroke, what's the best way to reduce the risk of having one?
1: So, I mean, there are some risk factors you cannot do anything about, like if uh, there is a family history of stroke or heart disease, for instance, uh, your risk of having a stroke is higher than someone who doesn't have a family history. But unfortunately, we we cannot do anything about that. But there are some risk factors you can do something about. So definitely controlling your blood pressure, lowering your cholesterol if you have high cholesterol, uh, and if you have diabetes, making sure that your diabetes is well controlled and another important thing is not to smoke. So these are the, the main and, uh, I mean, important things to prevent a stroke. And if you have had a stroke, it's also very important to take the medications that you were prescribed uh, regularly.
0: Well, Candice, you've given us much to think about, and you've helped us better understand stroke and how it's managed. So thank you, for joining us today on Wellbeing.
1: Great, thank you very much, Graham.
0: Dr. Candice Delcour is a Senior Research Fellow, Neurological and Mental Health Division at the George Institute for Global Health. She's also Clinical Senior Lecturer at the University of Sydney and Conjoint Senior Lecturer at the University of New South Wales. Thank you for listening. I'm Graham Wilson, and all of us at Wellbeing wish you well.